Hey, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing all right. I am so excited to be talking to you. You were on vacation last week, so I've missed you. Yeah, I have missed being around, but it was super good to get some space and with just my family and just to kind of slow down a little bit. Uh, We had a great time. What have you been up to? Well, hey, my son graduated high school this last weekend. We had a big party for him. It was super fun to celebrate. It was just, it was a really good weekend. That's awesome. Well, what's on your mind? Yeah. So I want to talk about something that you and I have talked about since the day our friendship began. And that is how to do personal prayer and Bible study. And to prime the pump, I want to go all the way back to an event. I don't even know if you remember this in college. Do you remember getting together with a group of guys and doing something that we called the prayer experiment? The prayer experiment. Yes, I do. Yeah, that was so much fun. And I think it speaks to exactly what I want to talk about because the prayer experiment was a bunch of us getting together and just exploring prayer. We explored prayer through uh, praying in different postures. We explored uh, corporate prayer, individual prayer. We were just trying on different modes of prayer. I'm pretty sure one of the nights we did painting or like crayons or something like that. Yes, and God was very displeased with me. <laughs> but um, yes, we did. We we did a ton of different things. And I think for the last 20 years, we've been doing that kind of thing individually. We've been mm. trying on different forms of connecting with God through through prayer and Bible study. And I want to talk about some of the ones that you've explored, what you found valuable in it, and uh, just kind of explore this whole area. Boy, that is so good. The challenge for me is that when you bring up a topic like that, it raises more questions than I have answers for. And so I wonder if it's all right with you if we back up before we even talk about the how to talk for a second about the why, because I wrestle with this on a number of levels. So for example, when you do this thing that we're about to talk about on a daily basis, what do you call it? <laughs> I I struggle with the the terminology too because I think our evangelical upbringing has sometimes struggled with the terminology. We've used quiet time, we've used time with Jesus, we've used prayer and Bible study, personal devotions, right? All, all these different and I think they're all inadequate. I think just prayer, honestly, is the simplest, easiest thing for me to call it, because I, anything else is unhelpfully descriptive. Yeah, exactly. I, my struggle with that particular thing is, A, that when I think about what to call it, if I call it the same thing for too long, it becomes too codified. It's, it's mm. too formal, And that distracts me from the relational aspect of it that I'm aiming for. But then the other piece of it that I find myself asking, and and I hope this is on topic because this is the first thing that I start asking myself is what makes it good? You know, we talked about this with church. 
but what's the goal? When you are reading your Bible and praying, what's the goal? What are you trying to accomplish? What, when do you know you did it? Right. I think my answer to that is still in development for many, yeah, many too. years. Yeah. For many, many years, my answer was, I don't know. I just, if I do it, I don't feel guilty. And if I don't do it, I feel guilty. Therefore, uh, I'm just avoiding guilt. Yeah. So a successful quiet time is a palliative. <laughs> right. I did it. And now God's not mad at me there. I think that's where I started and for and really camped out for a very long time because it's uh, it was common in the way I understood my own upbringing. Uh, the way I received it was you need to be doing these things and shame on you if you're not doing these things. And therefore, I interacted with this in a very shame-based way. So, But as I've matured, hopefully, I'm growing into a different answer. And the outline of that answer is something like, I want to spend time with God so that he can transform me over time, so that he can meet me here so that we have these rhythms, these relational rhythms and consistency that is formative and transformative in me. I think that's the kind of general outline of where I'm growing into. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think for me, kind of along those lines, you, you use the, the language of rhythm. And I know that for me... After I first got out of that guilt-shame sort of cycle of doing devotions because it was the right thing to do, uh, which at least for me, by the way, really was not something that was either caught or taught. That was just me. Like, both my parents regularly spend time with God. I don't remember them ever telling me that I ought to. They just do, and I saw them do it, and I saw it matter to them. Like, all the best possible things that could have happened in this regard all happened. Like, I can picture my mom's worn-out old Bible. I can picture my dad comfortably talking about his habits without implying that I ought to do things the way he did them. Mm. But regardless, I ended up in that sort of guilt place. But then, once I got out of that, I think the next phase for me was that I was looking for something to happen every time. And mm. I didn't always know what that thing was, but I knew something almost with a capital S was supposed to happen. I was supposed to have a wow moment. I was supposed to have a profound insight. I was supposed to uh, something. And I think over the years, I have stepped away from, from looking for a an outcome from each individual time I spend time with God to this idea of I'm just fostering a friendship with God. And it's not an individual moment that's going to change me. It is the ongoing friendship of which spending time is the backbone. Does that make sense? It No, it absolutely does. And it's it's interesting because if we use our uh, for our friendship as a model here or an example, 
I don't know that we could have, right out of college, started this podcast and had the words to describe what our friendship meant to one another. But as yeah. it has just happened organically for 20 years, the sum total of that has grown and shaped and developed us in really profound ways. And so I, I through that experience, can experience what an ongoing relationship with God ought to do in me. And that relationship ought to develop and grow over time. And not because any one particular experience was over the top, but just because we've accumulated so many experiences. Yeah, no, ac accumulate. That's a good word. It sort of snowballs into something without you noticing. Yeah. And so I think with that why as a backdrop, it allows us to explore the how much more flexibly because mm. you and I have been tied to talking on the phone for 20 years simply because we have uh, been on opposite ends of the country. But and because we're legalistic. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. New technologies have developed. Things like Google Meet, Meets, Zoom, and we're like, no, we don't need those things. <laughs> That's so true. I swear, when we when I, we're on one of those platforms occasionally, I'm so messed up. I'm like, I I, I shouldn't mm -hmm. be seeing you right now. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> yes, uh, but uh, we've been locked into that. But even still, like uh, most friendships, and even when we're we're together, we get to vary this up a little bit. There's variety. There's complexity to how yeah. we interact, and so because of that, both you and I have explored and, and, and used a variety of methods and rhythms to connect with God. And I want to hear your reflections on some of those. And so what are you using right now? What brought you to that rhythm in particular? And what's it doing for you? Well, that's good. So what I'm doing right now is based on an app that I've used for years uh, that I absolutely love, and I use a lot of different features of this particular app. Uh, it's an app called Hallow. It is put out by some really great Catholic folks, and there's a lot of different elements of it that I could describe that are meaningful to me, but the piece that I've been using recently, they have these 30 to 40 day challenges where they lead you in prayer for 30 or 40 days, and each day you just have a particular audio recording that you listen to and pray with, and this particular set is inspired by the exercises of St. Ignatius. And so it's a Catholic priest leading them who is deeply informed by and influenced by the exercises, and he is training you to pray in a way that is consistent with what Ignatius was trying to indoctrinate people with through his exercises. I'm really intrigued by this, but I want to back up for a second, because I think my evangelical heritage and some of the influences I have had make me automatically curious or if not defensive when you say Catholic. And then secondly, you use the word indoctrination. So 
we're talking about a Catholic indoctrination, and, and is that wise? Is that what we ought to oh, be doing good. as evangelicals? That's good. Uh, you know, I cringed when I used the word indoctrinate because I did not mean it to have a negative connotation, but I certainly understand why it could have that connotation. One of the things that I've come to think over the years is that I can learn a lot from just about anybody. We talked about this a little bit when we were talking about books. But the other thing that's been interesting for me to learn is that when you say or I say Catholic, there isn't one thing that Catholic means. There are a wide, wide range of different things that Catholic means, and a lot of them are very consistent with where I come from as a Pentecostal evangelical, where you come from as a Baptist evangelical? Are there things that I would disagree on? Absolutely. But there are things I cordially disagree with you on. Sure. What I know is that this particular priest, whose name is escaping me at the moment, clearly loves Jesus, clearly wants to connect with him and surrender his life more to him, and is using a resource that is hundreds of years old to help him do that. And on some level, the proof is in the pudding. I have no idea where that phrase came from, but we all know what it means. <laughs> right? So let me back up and talk for a second about the way he's encouraging us to pray, which is a way that many of us have prayed before. Essentially, He's encouraging us to pray in conversation with Scripture, which is something I've always aimed for, and I have found to be something that is consistently something that is valuable to me. I don't particularly like just having an unscripted conversation with God where I just either just ramble at him a little bit or just tick off things I need or want to him. Neither of those feel comfortable to me. Um mm-hmm. And I have found myself more and more wanting to be in conversation with Jesus by being in conversation with Scripture. And so imagining myself into a story in the Gospels or sitting and meditating on a passage of Scripture until it brings something to my heart that I actually want to talk to God about— has been a really fruitful way of praying for me and has ended up being kind of a more meaningful, long-term kind of grounding way to pray. And in that, if somebody is saying Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God and what you need to do is get more into conversation with him, I'm super open to that. Does that make sense? Yes, I completely agree. And it's funny, I am using you as a springboard here because you're using a Catholic-based app for part of your prayer time, as am I, a different a different app. And I think we referenced it before on the podcast, this mm-hmm. Pray As You Go app is also done by a Catholic group. And I think they're doing a fantastic job, but occasionally... They will do some readings out of the Apocrypha, 
which I think is fine. I think Christians should read the Apocrypha, not as scripture, but as, you know, classic writing that helps us understand the thinking that first century Jews may have had. So I think it's important writing, even if it's not scripture. So I don't mind those readings as much, but occasionally there'll be some uh, nod toward or some encouragement toward praying to Mary, which I clearly don't agree with. However, those things aside, I have found the, the rest of what they put together to be incredibly beneficial some excellent promptings on how to meditate on scripture and place yourself in the story and allow it to envelop who you are and how you experience the gospel and pray in response to all that you have experienced through immersing yourself in the story. All of that is wonderfully done and built on a very long-standing Catholic contemplative heritage that I don't think we should be discarding out of hand because it has the word Catholic in it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would put myself somewhere deeply into the contemplative tradition, whether that means I'm referring back to people like, you know, St. Benedict or people like Jonathan Edwards or whatever. And I think you're right. I think that the Catholic Church has a really wonderful connection with a longer sense of history of the Church, and therefore with some resources that are incredibly valuable. Yes. One of the things that the Prayers You Go app introduced me to that I'd never done before was something called a daily examine. And Mm. it is a series of reflection questions that you do at the end of the day to prayerfully, before God, review your day. And where was God present to you throughout the day? Where did he feel more absent from you? What emotions did you encounter over the course of the day? What opportunities did you encounter over the course of the day? It's really just this prayerful, almost prayer journal that you encounter with God and the Holy Spirit to review your day. And I really loved that experience, but it's not something that we emphasize usually in a evangelical setting. This is a very mm. uh, ancient Catholic practice that I was happy to recover for myself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how could that be a bad thing, right? Yeah, uh, exactly right. Uh, so what else? You know, I'm I'm curious to hear some more things that have worked for you, either recently or in the last couple of years, but you mentioned the Praise You Go app. Has that kind of defined the way that you've spent time with God for quite some time? Is that newer? What's what? Fill out the picture a little bit for me. Sure. Yeah, I've been using that for a couple of years. I think we talked about it before. This was a recommendation from my mentor, Dean. And it's been fantastic. It's been a great way to connect with God. But as we've talked offline about this, we have used the analogy of a a target, uh, say an archery target. Mm-hmm. And there are concentric rings around this bullseye. And I think certain tools can only get you so close to the bullseye. They in and of themselves mm. will get you on target. It will be a, a prayer time. Mm. 
but it may not be at the very heart of just an extraordinary encounter with God. But it will, it will still be a quality moment spent with God. And so I would put the Pray As You Go app, I think its top range is maybe um, just a little bit better than halfway to the bullseye. I think that's as, as close as it can get. And I'm, I'm very happy to do that consistently. I think there's value in that, even if it's not hitting the bullseye every single time. Um, another thing that I, I, I don't know where to put it on the target. It's definitely not a bullseye, but it is still a very good practice. One of the things I'm very thankful for about my seminary education has been the ability to learn both Greek and Hebrew. And I know that various people have different experiences with learning Greek and Hebrew in seminary. Some love it, some hate it, some just barely get through it. And a lot of people lose it after they have learned it. I know when I learned it in college, I learned Greek in college and then didn't keep up with it for all these years and always wanted to get back to it and was so thankful to get back to it in seminary. And I really want to keep these languages and continue to dive into them. And the reason is not because there's something mysterious and can, that can only be gained by reading the Bible in its original languages. We have amazing translations. There is nothing wrong with our English translations, especially as we read various translations to get a fuller sense of what's going on in the, in the text. But no major English translation is a bad choice. Mm. The thing that is great for my own personal study about Greek and Hebrew is I don't know the language. I mean, I kind of know the language. It forces me to go slow. It forces me to ask new questions of the text. Why is that word here? Why is that word emphasized? Why is that word fronted in this way? Why is that grammatical construction there? What is the author driving at? What is God driving at? I have to go word by word, sentence by sentence, sometimes phrase by phrase, to really understand how to translate. And so it is forcing me into this, this opportunity to look at the text and ask brand new questions. And mm -hmm. if I were just going along in my English translation, I would have flown through that phrase so fast and been on to the next one because the language itself is so familiar to me that I'm able to fly through it. So I've enjoyed the slow rhythms of that. And I have mentioned before, I've got a, my college roommate, he and I uh, meet twice a week, once for Hebrew, once for Greek, and we're just working our way through certain books of the Bible. And we're using commentaries as we go to help elucidate what we don't quite understand. And it's so rich. We're just asking good questions of the text. We, we meet for an hour each. And we, we only get through five or six verses because we're asking so many questions and we're wrestling with the grammar or the text or whatever. So that's been another aspect to, to my prayer life that I've really appreciated. Yeah, this has been something so interesting for me to watch because it doesn't work for me. <laughs> I deeply appreciate the devotional character of the way that you study the Bible in its original languages. It is so obviously 
a relational exercise with God for you. Like it is part of being in relationship to him and it enriches your relationship with him in ways that I just absolutely love. And I have taken three cracks at learning Greek and one at Hebrew and have not found it to be that way for me. And so I, I just, I find it so interesting to me because it is, it is relational for you. And I love that. It is. And I understand it takes a lot of time and dedication to learn these languages, but I want to submit the idea that it is not reserved for pastors and for professors. This is something anybody can do. There are so many resources out there these days that allow you to learn these languages. It can be done. I don't necessarily think it always should be done because like you're, you're describing, your way of interacting with God, this doesn't fit in that. But it does for me, and I suspect it does for others who show up in the pews every single week. And this could be an opportunity for them to to connect with God on a new level. So I don't think everybody needs to learn Greek or Hebrew. Like I said, there's I don't think there's a whole lot of mystery here that you're going to solve suddenly, but I do think it's a, an, a worthy enterprise for connecting mm. with God. Yeah, that's great. I love that. So tell me a little bit about your journey. Give me some of the things that you have done and then moved on from, because I think you... You tend to move on every six to 12, sometimes 18 months from your established pattern. So what have you tried? Why do you move on? And what helps you choose the next thing? Man, so this is so interesting. I know that for me, I go through this rhythm that is I do not like in myself. I long for things like stability and consistency and I value them about as highly as you possibly can. And yet, in things like my relationship with God, when I do the same thing over and over and over again, it somehow shifts into a thing I'm doing, and it loses the relational character. And I don't think that that's the way everybody is, but it is definitely the way my brain works. I have to shift things up, and it I don't always get much of a vote on how often that's going to be. Sometimes it could be a month later. Sometimes it could be six months later. Sometimes it could be a year and a half later. Like you said, it changes. And if I try to press into doing the same thing that has been getting drier and drier and just aim for being a disciplined, responsible human being, I lose the relational tone of the time I'm trying to spend with God. And it just becomes a very disciplined habit. But so I've done a lot of different things over the years. One thing that I often regularly come back to is the Book of Common Prayer. There is an an app called, is it called just Day by Day? I know you've used it too, and now I'm not remembering the name of it. Yeah, for, forward Day by Day. Forward day by day. Thank you. There we go. That is just a really simple putting together of the the daily office from the Book of Common Prayer. 
And I find the Book of Common Prayer to be incredibly inspiring because it often feels to me like what I would pray if I were more intimate with Jesus than I already am. And so it's regularly inviting me up. I also have done a lot of, if I'm trying to think of a traditional resource that works for me, periodically I will read through uh, one of N.T. Wright's For Everyone books. Those have been incredibly helpful to me. I also have listened through and read through the Immerse Bible is a reader's edition of the New Living Translation. And I have found, at least for me, that a reader's version of the Bible is very helpful. One that removes all the verses and the chapter titles and the multiple columns and all the notes. It's like the anti-study Bible. Uh, (laughs) It just... It just gets all the stuff off the page except for the Bible. And I regularly find that to be incredibly helpful. And so I I have a number of different editions of the Bible, one in ESV, one in NLT, that are reader's editions that just take all that stuff off and let me read, read the Bible and almost trick myself into forgetting that I'm reading the Bible and come to it like a regular book. And then suddenly it's profound, uh, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, probably my one of my other favorites that I use all the time, that app Hallow that I actually started with, they have a a bunch of different daily options that you can use. But one of the ones that they have on there is a, they just call it the Daily Gospel, and it's an opportunity to just meditate on a passage from the Gospels, and essentially he walks you through a simple sort of relaxation and focusing exercise. And then he reads the gospel passage, and then there's a chunk of silence. Then he reads the gospel passage again, and then there's a chunk of silence, and then he reads the gospel passage again, and then there's a chunk of silence. And that sort of three-part digging into the passage, getting to hear it, and then think about it, and then hear it again, and then think about it, and then hear it again, and think about it, uh, has been deeply helpful for me. So those are some ways that I have found myself to be connecting with God. What about you? Any other ways? That is so good. Was that at the Hallowed app? You said that they have that uh, feature? Yeah. Yeah, that's the Hallow app. I have that app. You recommended it to me a long time ago. I downloaded it and I've never used it. I'm going to have to use that feature because I really want to press into that. But I'll tell you why on the next episode. I think we need to do a part B. We've talked about doing a part B on a variety of different ones, but let's just commit to it right now. I want to record another episode because I have more thoughts I want to get to, and I hope you do too. Absolutely. All right, let's do it. Well, then if we are going to have a part B, that means we should, obviously, this is a good moment for us to pause And so if this is a good moment for us to pause, let's just shift over to thoughts and tell me what else you've been thinking about. Yeah. Well, we've talked a lot about these apps. And so my thought actually comes from one of these apps, ironically. And the other day in the Pray As You Go app, they referenced the fact that it was 
the feast of our Lord Jesus Christ, eternal high priest. And that was a brand new feast for me, as most of them are. I didn't know anything about this feast. I looked it up. It really only started in the early 80s, 1980s, I should clarify. And then in England and Wales, it was only adopted back in 2018. And that's England and Wales is where this is produced. That feast is in honor of Jesus, who serves humankind as high priest. And it's a reminder that Jesus serves all in all manner of ways. And I think, okay, wonderful, great feast to have. But then they took as their text for this recording, the call of Isaiah in Isaiah 6. And as you recall, this is one of the most transcendent views of God that you have in all of the scriptures. Isaiah's brought into this scene of heaven and God's glory is filling the temple and his robe can't even be contained in it. It's just immensely powerful. And God is very much other. And I thought to myself, this is the exact wrong text to be using here. You want to display in this feast, God as servant, God as uh, serving humanity in all sorts of ways, through his role as high priest, and yet you're using such a transcendent, otherworldly depiction of God. Why are you doing this? And then it kind of occurred to me, that's exactly what this is. God's service to us Mm. is so topsy-turvy. He should not be serving us. We should be serving him. He is that otherworldly figure And yet, he serves all of humanity as the great high priest. And Mm. he deigned to come to this earth in the form of Jesus and serve his disciples and serve humanity, even so far as to die for them. This is the gospel. This is the mixed-up, sideways, counterintuitive reality that we've entered into. So I actually appreciated the juxtaposition once I pondered it a little bit more. What a powerful way to set those two thoughts right next to each other in a way that highlights both of them. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was impactful. But what about you? What are you thinking about? Man, well, you know, I have been working my way through this book by Michael Reeves called Rejoice and Tremble. It's a book about the fear of God. And one of the things that he highlights in there that I've just found interesting, and I don't want to dig you through all of his conclusions about what this means, but he talks about the fact that when the fear of God is mentioned in Scripture, regularly it is not his transcendence, his intensity. It's not his judgment that is the thing that was just experienced or encountered by the person who is fearing God. You know, the example that is used is the example of Jacob at Bethel. And in that passage, it talks about how Jacob is promised profound and overwhelming blessing by God. And Jacob's response was to fear the Lord. And that is a regular thing in Scripture, that the fear of God is a response to the profound, mind-boggling 
blessing of God. And so a piece, just a small piece of what Reeves is trying to suggest is that the reason that the word fear is used in those moments is that there is a sense of being overwhelmed, something that is profoundly visceral in the way that we need to be responding to God if we encounter him properly. Something like reverence or awe almost sounds a little too formal and stained glass window. Like, there is something about even the kindness and graciousness of God that is demanding of a visceral response Mm. that requires us to use an, an emotional word like fear. And if you put that together with the idea of being overwhelmed or out of control, I think that there's something really interesting going on here. He talks a lot about the fact that fear is attractive to us in certain circumstances. And so we are drawn to this thing that God is, even though it makes us feel out of control or overwhelmed, even though it causes us to have this incredibly like knee-jerk, trembling sort of response. And I just, I feel like there is something there that I need to keep learning about, uh, which is why I keep working my way through this book, because I want more of that in my life, whatever that is. Yeah. That goes back to the very question you asked at the beginning of this podcast. Why? What are we trying to accomplish when we have our prayer time. And the question is partially answered in saying, I I want to experience God as he is and have a proper response to God. And sometimes that means I'm just going to be overwhelmed and have this emotional response that one could label fear because God just demands that. He's so other. Hmm. Yeah. Though, and he has lots of other things to say. So he would even say he is more than just other. He would say mm. he's going to suggest that there is something other about God that any religion can get a hold of. But there is something redemptive and yet fearsome about God that only Christianity can offer that gives us a warmth and attractiveness to the fear. And I, it's just very interesting. Uh, That's great. Well, I want to invite our audience to join the conversation. I want to know what are you thinking and what are you thinking about fearing God? What do you think of the idea of God's transcendence versus his servanthood? And I also want to know what you're doing in terms of Bible study and and what you have to say about what's been said thus far. But I also want to caution We've got another episode. We're going to talk about this very same thing. So if you need to hold your thoughts until next week, that is okay. We're going to keep talking about this. There's so much to uncover, so many different ways that we can relate to God. So uh, join us on Reddit, join the conversation, and let's keep it going. We want to hear from you. 
Absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, make sure you catch us on Instagram and Facebook. And just this last week, we posted that one of us, our dream car is a 1979 CJ7 Jeep. And that is Josh from Oregon, which Josh, I think was one of the very first things I ever learned about you way back when we were in college. You have been pointing this particular car out for years and years and years. Yeah, it's true. I I love this car. I love just the the aggressive stance of the vehicle. I love the fun and enjoyment that it portrays of going off-road but also you know, being able to fly down the highway with the doors off and the top off and all of those things. And just the age of it, there's, I don't know, there's something about well-formed steel. And I love those circular headlights, the quintessential Jeep thing. So I just, I love all of those things. The unfortunate thing is I live an hour from work and gas prices are through the roof. It is so impractical to get nine miles to the gallon And so I drive a Prius. I live on a farm and I drive a Prius because I just am too uh, frugal. Someday I will own that Jeep. I don't know where I'll drive it. I'll be too poor to drive it anywhere, but I'll just like have it in the driveway and I'll stare at it and look at it and feel like I finally arrived. Well, the good news is if you're only going to stare at it, you don't need to worry about buying a working one, which should impact the budget of the situation fairly effectively. (laughs) If you know anything about Jeeps, at one point or another, they all get stuck and they just park in a driveway somewhere. That is true from what I'm told. Though, if any of our Jeep driving friends out there are listening right now, we do not mean that as an insult. (laughs) Right, right. All right. Well, I cannot wait to get to our next conversation, and I assume we are on for next week. Absolutely. Coming back with more about spending time with God. I really want to dive in. You know, you used two words at the beginning of this, methods and rhythm. We talked a lot about methods this time. I'd love to talk a little bit more about rhythm next time. Oh, that's perfect. That's exactly where I'm going. So, all right, let's talk next week. All right, talk to you then. Bye. Bye.